I kind of want to start with a Beevla revolution. <laughs> Welcome to the Agile uh, revolution. This is Renee speaking. <laughs> so we haven't heard you on the podcast for a while. No, about a year, in fairness. Um, I, I have, uh, in that year, joined a consulting company, BCG, and uh, to be fair, they didn't ban me. They, they in fact, probably do encourage me to, to speak still on a podcast, but um, just haven't had the time. Been mm. very busy since joining. Um, however, between that and life, family, just don't don't have the hours but I want to get back into it yeah yeah because it used to be more well maybe it still is more more chat with you and Tony and Craig and then lately it's been the interviews I guess his backlog of interviews the inter- yeah the, the interviews were more backlog items that we still yeah. had and, and we tried to interdisperse us talking with those interview items but as a result of us not talking it's been more interviews yeah well you're sort of a bit of an inspiration for our podcast so we just do a tiny weekly um, debrief. To fill the gap for well, the void that was left. Well, no, just, it's, I'm sort of, I guess I'm being the podcast I want to see in the world in some ways. Yeah. Because it's uh, the kind of agile gossip that I, I kind of yes. want to know about. But then a few longer interviews, and thank you so much for joining us, because I know your time More than is very precious. So maybe take us back to your kind of journey, I guess. Where did it all start for you, Renee? It's, it's been a very long journey. Uh, I think between myself and Rowan, I think we both compete for how long we've been doing Agile in Australia. I started at least 15 years ago. I started in Suncorp, but a lot of people aren't aware that Suncorp has gone through multiple phases of transformation. So back, back 15 years ago, myself and my co-hosts for the revolution, Tony Ponton and Craig Smith were all there in those very early days when we were working in the um, web and integration space, which is now more colloquially known as digital. And we were just looking at uh, what are, what is this agile thing? It was only a couple of years old at that point in time. Uh, the scrum guide said sprints should be four weeks. Wow. And the interesting thing back then is that there was such so little amount of content. It was only a couple of books and uh, one or two websites. And we really were discovering new ways of working. And I love that about the Agile Manifesto, the first line, we're discovering new ways of working. I think a lot of people, they talk about the principles and they talk about the values, but they miss that first line because it's not something that's very stable. It has dramatically changed over the last 15 years. And I hope it will continue to change as we discover new ways of working. Mm. So I think um, that, that first stint in Suncorp was really about exploration. And then I went over to New Zealand and did a transformation over there and then came back to Suncorp. That's when Jeff Smith was in at Suncorp. Oh, and the so biggest transformation yeah. happened. I think the reality was, and Craig could probably talk to this a bit better because he stuck through those years when I was overseas. But they, um, after that area had been changed and, and working those new agile ways, when I'd left, a new manager had come in afterwards. And they basically said, I don't know what this agile thing is. We're not going to do that anymore. And the group there then basically went undercover. So they kept doing agile, 
um, but didn't tell anyone or tried to hide the, the fact that they were doing Agile. And when Jeff came in, um, he could see which teams were performing and which weren't, and these ones that were still somewhat doing Agile but mm -hmm. sort of weren't um, highlighting it. I wondered what was happening in there, and that's really how it came to be at the end of the day. That's kind of refreshing. Yeah. Can't, can't keep it down. Yeah, it is, <laughs> it is a pattern, and, and in fairness, I have seen uh, through the years, organisations do go through these cycles where they become agile, and with significant C-suite changes, they no longer become agile. And I would I'd sort of liken it to offshoring, which goes in waves. I think it might be the new norm that we actually see a lot of waves of this for a while until it stabilises. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good observation. Yeah, I certainly have become saddened by some places that have gone backwards that I've been at. But when I say that to Neil, he says that's why we'll never be out of a job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people have this misconception too is that, well, if it didn't stick, then you mustn't have been a very good coach. Yeah, right. As opposed to, well, if, if the whole leadership team changes mm. and you're no longer there, it's, mm. it is a really significant challenge for it to stick. Yeah, and leaders come in with wanting to prove themselves and you know wanting to make their own changes and implementing what they've done in other places as well. And I guess at Suncorp they had big consultancies, I know ThoughtWorks were involved. Yeah, they were, they were involved back then. Yeah. I, I'm interested in what was your view of them back then? Has that changed now that you are one? Uh, I mean, I, I did work for IBM very early in my career before joining Suncorp. Um, I, I think consultancies like ThoughtWorks themselves back then, in fairness, were 10 people in Australia. Uh, so they've definitely grown and, and they were extremely valuable in those early stages. And, and I believe in the years that I was um, overseas and they re-kicked off inside the Suncorp, again, extremely valuable. So I've got a lot of um, respect for what they did inside of that transformation. They provided a heck of a lot of value. They provided a lot of expertise for that change, especially at the technical level. Um, now, probably I would say if I compared consultancies amongst each other, that really what happened in the post uh, Suncorp days was this emergence of boutique agile coaching, where there was a lot of independent consultants that grew out of that environment. And I think uh, that's reflective of a few things. It's reflective of coaches who um, saw the opportunity in the environment in order to, to make a bit more money rather than be permanent. Not that they didn't necessarily care about the organisation. There's that perception that if you're a contract, you don't care about where you work. I, I don't, I've never seen that in boutique coaches. Um, but I also think that those sorts of people didn't actually, and probably still to a, a really high degree, don't want to join huge consulting firms because there's that perception out there around old school management existing in those firms. And I can't speak for all of them. Uh, and ThoughtWorks themselves have obviously grown over the years, but I st if even looking at ThoughtWorks and Elaborate, I wouldn't necessarily put them in the same ballpark because they're quite focused in one area of delivery and change as opposed to, um, I guess, the, the really broad spectrum of business strategic delivery and change yeah. that a lot of those bigger houses are. Yeah. 
I think the independent or the boutique, there's also that desire to be impartial. Yeah. Bit, keep that impartiality that you yeah. don't get when you're a perm. Um, but also, you know, have your own little community of people that are like-minded. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly belong to a few of those, as I'm sure you do. Um, what are you seeing differently now than you saw when you're at Suncorp? So, obviously, decades on or decade and a half on. It's a great question. There's lots of things that are different, and there's lots of things that are the same. So I think a lot of the challenges haven't necessarily changed. There's still challenges with leadership. There's still challenges with things that are outside of your control. Uh, I think certainly the patterns inside of Agile have grown to be able to try and address some of those problems and to provide patterns of solutions in those environments. But I still think, I think probably um, we've grown more to be pattern oriented as a community rather than necessarily mindset or agnostic oriented and going back to that comment around you know we're discovering new ways but there's an awful strong segment of the community that tends to be more practice focused than necessarily um, resilient and adaptable focused than anything else yeah I think it's um, yeah some of those other aspects that aren't pattern focused or framework focused are probably rely on experience more. Yeah, I think, I think one of the things that has changed for the better is the, the growth of um, both scaled and even business agility as concepts. Um, I think they're useful to have higher levels of discussions. I think we've continued to push the barrier about how far up inside of the organisation that we go and how wide inside of an organisation that we go. So moving Agile out from software development Mm. Uh, and delivery more to any sort of knowledge management or white collar work mm. is a huge bonus. And I think at the end of the day, you know, we can expect more and more organisation-wide transformations to occur, um, tackling those really challenging areas of finance, governance, HR and so forth. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's almost like the world's best kept secret that software is the most complex thing to deliver compared to HR programs or I, I think and so it's almost like the rest should be straightforward. Yeah I still think it's complex I don't think we've solved that. I do somewhat lament that Agile was born out of um, trying to deal with problems that software developers faced and I see still a lot of those problems. I don't, mm. I don't see a significant shift in technical capabilities to deliver, um, I think we've really failed the community in that area. Mm. I think really, to be honest, the advent of DevOps, which is to some extent XP rebranded, mm. um, not fully, but I think that was a, an attempt to have a re-go at it. At the end of the day, I th fundamentally craftsmanship feels still lost to me. Yeah. Yes, software engineers are still a bit of a misunderstood. I feel really sorry for them and I, and I, I totally empathise with them when they go, oh, these agile people um, and we just, we don't really work to solve some of the issues that exist at a capability level. Yeah, there are some places obviously that are doing really well. Yep. Um, 
it is quite noticeable the difference in the vibe inside those places. The, the ones where the engineering community has a strong voice, yeah, and the ones where they're sort of still a bit downtrodden and yeah, um, treated as a an outsourced kind of service, yeah, service function. What's it like working for somewhere so big? Um, as in as in BCG, you yeah. mean? It doesn't feel big. I think the reason why it doesn't necessarily feel big is the people that I see in the offices in Australia, there's, there's a few hundred people. Um, however, when I've worked with clients anyway, you're working in an environment where there's 20, 30, 40,000 people and you sort of feel like you're still a, a piece in the machine with the client itself. So to me, I feel... Um, I do feel the worldwideness of being at BCG, which I've never felt before, that I am part of something bigger. Mm. Uh, and that's great. I still think the community inside of BCG is still growing from an agile perspective, but I do feel connected yeah, to I, that. I, a question a few people had, and I have, is are you listened to? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I feel extremely listened to inside of BCG. Um, uh, there's there's all sorts of and that's at multiple levels. Yeah. Um, but are I, they like I, tell us all of the agile stuff for you now? Are they voracious in wanting to learn things? I think it depends. I think in, in reality, there's a spectrum of people, as as you would expect in any sort of transformation, of people who want to know everything versus people who want to know just enough to do their job versus you know I've got other priorities. Um, I think there are certainly actively people who want to go on to cases who are agile related mm. and those people are actively seeking information. I think a lot of the, the practices that we have internally to the organisation, whilst they aren't agile by label, are somewhat agile by nature. So mm. we do, you know, we've already done, always done retrospectives mm. um, and sustainability um, focused sessions inside of the organization and so I think um, it's it's just a matter of looking at the practices and being able to relate them to terms that they already are aware of yeah as well it is certainly an environment where I feel quite respected that's good actually the reason I'm talking to you is because of the meetup which seems like old news now in some ways and you initiated that session yeah, so we ran that meetup both in Sydney and in Melbourne. So, so it was both a bit of a, a thought bubble between myself and the partner that I work with in my current client, which is Chris Maddy. And part of that process was um, there was a specific, very specific reason why I joined BCG, and I did find it to be a little bit different to what I expected it to be. So I had expected it to be probably that more perception of more old school. Mm -hmm. than it was and I, I knew that there would still be work that I would need to do inside of the organisation as far as potentially changing mindsets and behaviours and in particular what I was probably most passionate about as part of joining was to um, really ensure that when we were working with clients that we were providing the best advice and that advice was actually based upon skill, expertise and experience because ultimately the, the experience that I had in a previous organisation was big consulting firm came in, um, didn't have experienced consultants come in. They 
brought their own playbook and didn't listen to anybody. And so basically all of the dysfunctions that I had experienced in that moment, I wanted to try and fix in another organization. And so that's why I joined. And part of the actual meetup itself was really around um, trying to, to clarify that it wasn't the environment that I went into because fair all all consultancies are probably tarred with the same brush mm. and it was about trying to acknowledge that there was an issue where consultancies weren't engaging with the community trying to differentiate ourselves as someone who did want to um, collaborate mm. engage connect listen take feedback from mm. the community and uh, and really grow so that we weren't just it wasn't an us versus them relationship. Um, we use a lot of coaches who are independent yeah. in, with our client relationships. Yeah, Mike said that. Yeah. It's very important to us that we have good relationships with the coaching community as a result of that because we don't have all the expertise. I can't obviously multiply myself and clone myself. It's very important that we have other people that we can rely on because also, um, you know, it was mentioned, we are expensive, we come in, we help define a strategy, we work with people, however, we're not going to be there forever, whereas a coach is definitely going to be there for longer, so it's important that we do have a really strong partnership with yeah. coaches. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and how did it go? The, how do you think the fishbowl went? Yeah, so the one in Sydney was uh, a lot less contentious, yeah. and, and I think the one in Melbourne was... A little contentious, but not in ways that we'd actually expected. Mm. Uh, and so to be clear on that, we probably had expected more feedback for one of the clients that we were working in and there was very little. And one of the ones that we had been actively working really hard on with the community had a lot more negative feedback than I'd somewhat mm. expected. And I think, uh, to be clear, it's the current client that I'm working on at the moment. And mainly for the reason being is that, you know, for the last year I've been deeply involved with a whole pile of coaches just so that we um, built a, a playbook, worked on implementation with them so that it wasn't an us versus them. And, yeah, and right. so what happened was there was a whole pile of coaches that we weren't aware of right. um, that actually part, aren't part of our remit of yeah. transformation. Um, so they were going, but you haven't talked to us. Well, and unfortunately, that actually was another consultancy's <laughs> job, not ours. Right. <laughs> yeah, and they can always talk to you, I guess, as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I remember back in early, early days when I was in the UK in ThoughtWorks actually, and there was there was big wars inside uh, a particular yeah. client between yeah. ThoughtWorks and another consultancy. Yeah. But those wars were more about they're doing everything in an old school way. Yeah. We're trying to keep. So we in. we try and steer clear of ideology wars and yeah, right. you know our version versus your version. Um, and in particular for this particular client, we have actively tried to establish relationships with those other consultancies so that we can work together for the betterment of the actual client. Yeah. Um, and in some cases we have succeeded really well. Um, to be fair, there's like four different consultancies in there. Yeah, right. And in some cases, um, the other consultancies just didn't gonna, want to do it. I was going to say, do you see them actively? Or is it more of a... I think it depends on the, organi and on, on the consultancy. Mm. Um, just how it is. Mm. Sometimes it's not even the consultancy. So we, we continually tried to escalate this, tried to say, look, we don't care if we're not in there doing this or if this particular, who actually owns this piece of work, yeah. just have one person own this impact. Mm. 
yeah I get it I guess it's because in some ways they're competing and some in some level you're in competition but that's not fair on the client no agree like we need to so the client we need to get that. over that yeah and just focus on the outcomes for the client yeah what do you think of fish bowls in general sorry that sounded like, like a leading no, question no, no i mean obviously um we wouldn't have used a fish bowl unless unless we thought there was value inside yeah. of it so for those who are listening probably to contextualize it it, it was a sort of a semi-circle panel had five seats Three of us sat there, however, three of us did not permanently sit there. What happens, um, there's always a chair free, and as part of that process, if if no chairs become free, then someone has to vacate a chair at the front. And the, the advantage of a fishbowl in particular is that it enables not just um, people who wanted to talk, uh, you know, from an expert perspective to do so, but it encourages people from the audience to come up and to participate as well. Now, whether that be participating because they've got a question or participating because they also have an opinion or an answer. Um, I just find it a really collaborative um, technique to actually get some insights and get some useful discussion amongst an audience. So we wanted to ensure it wasn't a discussion where it was us yeah. talking to people, um, that we did have an open dialogue as a result of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think it's good for that. I, my reflection is more, I've seen and been, facilitated a few of them, it's definitely a discussion. It's not a resolving, solving type exercise. And I guess it's not intended to be. Yeah. I just wonder what would a resolving, solving type workshop be like on that topic? Or is it just too broad, too complex? You're not going to solve it with a bunch of people anyway. Well, I, think, I think in fairness, you know, coming out of the advent of that, there's been uh, four or five separate people connecting with me. We've had separate coffee sessions. I Chris has also had further Plots with a number of people one-on-one -on -one where we've actually talked about how we can bridge that gap and, and become more collaborative so uh, certainly you know subsequent to that you know we were connecting via other conferences like Agile Tour um, and we're more than open to to be part of the community more on a, on a both a meetup level and a mm -hmm. conference level um, naturally there's a certain element of our work that we can't always talk about which is probably the biggest of the inhibitor um, agile people are generally very open okay. about their work mm. whereas that's not quite normal in these bigger tier consultancies yeah right so is it just like you don't disclose the name of the client or you don't disclose even the nature of the work both yeah yeah so if it's it's it, you can do it in extremely generic terms yeah but um, the level of specificity that we tend to go to in Agile is a level deeper than a lot of these consultancies do. So is that to protect the client? No, it's not just to protect the client, it's to protect IP as well. Yeah. Hmm. Been a year for you? Yeah. So reflection? Yeah, it's been, uh, it's certainly been ups and downs for me. I won't, I won't shy away from that. I, uh, I do. What are the downs, Renee? The downs, the, the, the hours are definitely the downs. Yeah, it's right. a lot of hours and uh, coaches like to have sustainable pace and like to exemplify sustainable pace to their teams and I don't feel in any way that I've been sustainable mm. and it's been quite a struggle for me to do the hours along with family, along with travel, mm. um, and I've obviously failed podcast as a result of that. <laughs> Not failed, um, <laughs> waiting. <laughs> waiting, pending. Yeah. Um, I, I 
have been somewhat surprised about the turnaround of people on teams. I probably shouldn't have been because I had experienced that previously as well. High so turnaround. Yeah, I think I think there's a little bit of a frustration for me on that. Is that if I spend lots of my time investing in people from a capability perspective, the turnaround has been challenging mm. on that. I think um, I'm in a much better place now where people who um, inside of BCG definitely want that as a really strong set of skills and so they're sticking around an awful lot longer for that. Mm-hmm. I knew it would be challenging that I couldn't choose my client. Uh, usually when I choose a client, um, I choose an organisation whereby there's really high level C-suite ownership and day-to-day involvement inside of a transformation and generally I prefer organisations um, this might be contentious, that are onshore rather than distributed. Yes. So that I think that has... Well, it directly impacts your impact. Yeah. So that can... Yeah. That can slow down your satisfaction, I guess, a little bit. I think not having ownership of that has also been a challenge. But the things that have been positive, uh, the environment itself is... Like, I was somewhat sceptical of the people as to whether they were really that nice, whether it really was family-like, to what extent it was. And it really is. The, the, everyone that I've met is highly professional, extremely empathetic, um, really cares about you. And not only does that exist at the bottom, that exists all the way to the top. Um, so we've got some really great leaders inside of the organisation. You talked about the C-suite. What do you think they think? of ways of working and all this hoo-ha. I noticed that BCG themselves refer to it as ways of working now. Uh, yeah, it depends on how they refer to that. Sometimes some of the work is about agile at scale. So yeah. agile at scale in, inside of BCG is pretty much the equivalent of business agility as opposed to what agile at scale means to an awful lot of agilists. Yeah, right. I think that is a good call out in that that's one of the reasons why I also joined was because I wasn't necessarily getting enough access to coach executives and to coach the C-suite about what Agile really is. I've had some more access than I previously had, so that has been a good thing for me um, in trying to have some of that influencing power and to know that when I talk with those audiences in particular, am I hitting things that matter in a way that's succinct and um, going to make a difference in their decisions. Mm. So I think there's, there's still an awful lot of misunderstanding at the sweet, sweet level about what Agile really is. They see their competitors doing it and they think that they have to compete with that and that's why a lot of them are doing this journey. Mm. I don't think they fully understand it is a massive cultural shift. It's almost a complete flip flip of the organisation. Yeah. And I also don't think they understand the immensity of the time in that journey. Mm. So as I said, I mean I've been in the one client for the last year, which is extremely unusual for a large consultancy to have that long of turn. And to be clear, we've got another two years um, to go as mm. well. These are so multi year changes. There's no um, there is a real appreciation um, on our side that it is a long journey. Yeah. Um, I still don't think maybe the clients are aware mm. that, you know, depending on their size, we could be expecting even even up to a decade for 
total embedment of this change so that it is everything that everyone lives and breathes. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I don't know if consultancies previously sold. I don't know about these big strategic consultancies and what yeah. their previous programs are. Yeah. They're so generally like so typically size to fit within a year. Typically their case works so yeah. between two to four months. Yeah, right. Uh, so it's, it's quite a significant shift and we're talking about also, um, you know, the, the bigger of the change of how many people are in there is, is now in the likes of not just two or three people. Mm. Um, for these consultancies we're talking about 50, 60 people inside of an organisation for a pe large period of time. Yeah, right. That means you're going to be working these crazy hours for uh, a decade, Renee? Oh, <laughs> uh, if, if they have their way, yeah. Why do you think that is? I mean, yeah, I know what it's like from doing it, why that is, but do you think it's something culturally that can't be a, a, a broken or challenged? I think, I think there's, uh, to be fair, a lot of the hours are, obviously you've got client time where you're yeah. billing, but I think a lot of the things that you need to do are extra on top of that. So if you're working in a transformation with 30 other consultants, how do you align and get consistency amongst yourself? Well, all of those meetings aren't necessarily all in client time. Mm. They're all in your extra time. Uh, so there's some extra elements of that. I think as, as an expert as well inside of the organization, I've got other clients uh, where I do small ad hoc work for as well yeah, right. or if you're doing any form of business development or any form of training especially internal, internal training yeah. this all ends up adding up to extra hours that you have and then naturally as as I mentioned earlier you know it is a worldwide organization and so you're also seeing questions um, go across the world whereby you know you're trying to support answers uh, so that people who don't know what they are actually have some support mm. and some of the better practices. So you're Australia for Agile Ways of Working, I'm assuming. Is there, are there versions of you in other countries? Or? Yeah, yeah, so there's um, inside of the States, uh, we've got Gail Ferreira, who's, who's well known in the Agile community over there, who's joined. Uh, and in, in Europe, we've got a, 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 an equivalent person who's done an awful lot of work in ING there, which, which is an open case that we can talk about mm -hmm. as a client. Um, and, and so we've got experts mingled throughout the world, and yeah. there's probably, you know, we had a catch up. It's going to sound very pretentious. We had a catch up last week in, in Barcelona. Berlin? Oh, there you go. <laughs> Uh, where there was a, a good 20 of us who are sort of working in that group inside of BCG, yeah. connecting with each other. And for me, it was the first time seeing that worldwide community as opposed to emailing them, mm -hmm. which was good. Well, that's awesome. Um, and they're getting more of you for Australia? Yeah, we're, we're still trying to hire at the moment um, for a similar role to myself, yeah. Sure. What do you think will happen in the next five, ten years for? Oh, I love that one. Agile ways of working in Australia. Like the, the funny, I laugh when people go, "Oh, we won't be doing agile in five, ten years." I just think that's what we thought. <laughs> been fifteen years 15, ago, I'm pretty sure it's going to still be you going. You should be teaching people how to do stand-ups. I think in fact it's because of that whole um, up and down curve, similar to offshoring. I think we can expect it for quite a lot longer than people are expecting, especially when you look at how challenging the leadership environment is from a transformation perspective. And that we really have been predominantly focusing for a very long time on IT. There's, there's a huge amount of work still in the business side yeah. to go from a transformation. Um, but I think 
you know, what I would love to see inside of Australia is this shift um, over the next decade more towards, okay, what's after Agile? And I don't mean a new shi- in a new shiny sort of sense, to be fair. Mm. Um, I think about it from a from Frederick Wooloo's perspective when he talks about and reinventing organisations. So he sort of classifies organisations in these tiers uh, where an orange organisation is very command and control, very hierarchical. A green organisation is quite a collaborative organisation but still has a level of hierarchy from an organisational structure perspective. And then a teal organisation becomes... Um, quite circular in nature or holocratic where there is uh, no management mm. anymore. So I, I have my bets at the moment on that post-agile. We're looking at, okay, how do we have more true empowerment mm. in teams where we become less leader-led and... Um, more circular in our organisational structures. So, you know, in the Southern Hemisphere, you know, Sandy Mamali and David Mole um, have been doing an awful lot of work already in that space. Um, I've, I've recently did my Holacracy certification. Oh, right. I think I heard that on the um, podcast, yeah. So I, I do feel like that is the next frontier, but we're so far away from that. Yeah. Yeah, so you haven't holocratized anyone? No, because the challenge is uh, they, they don't recommend that you do it in a section of an organisation yeah. because uh, you'll have basically the same problem that you have with Agile where you've just got uh, this group and a system around it that is extremely ineffectual. And in holocracy really requires a top-down led commitment where you actually physically sign off at the board level away your management rights to the organisation. And I, I just I think a lot the of organisations in yet. Australia are quite there yet. No. Yeah, very good. Uh, it's been a pleasure. You're welcome. Do you have anything to ask me? Um, no, 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 no unless you want to go into your work. No, 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 no. We don't need to do that. <laughs> I get plenty of air time to do that. All right. Thanks again, Renee. That was Thank great. you. And Viva la Revolution. Viva la Revolution. <laughs> I'm dying to say that. <laughs>